0: Hello, Welcome to the Christchurch Jerusalem Bible Study, where we wrestle with God's Word. For more information on the church, to listen to sermons, to contact us, or to make a gift, visit ChristchurchJerusalem.org.
1: Good evening, brothers and sisters, to Christchurch Jerusalem, to our evening Bible Study. We are in the book of Leviticus, almost at the end. And uh, as we've been learning about how to be a holy people, we've wrestled with some of the um, literal parts of the text, the prophetic parts of the text, and some of the more obscure parts that we still perhaps don't always know, but we do know that the Lord requires us to be holy. And uh, the Holy Spirit, which makes us holy, is present. He's present with me. It's great. He's present with you he binds us all together in in an incredibly beautiful way. So let's pray and acknowledge his presence. So Rocky, if you could pray us in to our study.
2: Yeshua, Messiah, you are the king of the whole world. All that was made was created for you. Exercise your sovereign rights over me. I renew my baptismal vows, renouncing Satan with all his works and his false glamour. And I promise to live as a good servant. In particular, I pledge myself to do it all in my power to make the rights of Yahuwah triumph in the world. Yeshua, I offer you whatever I do, however feeble, to obtain that all human hearts may admit your sacred kingship, so that your kingdom of your peace will be established throughout the whole world. Amen.
1: Oh, Amen. Thanks. Great, great prayer. Amen. All right, guys. A uh, summary from last week, which was the conclusion to Leviticus 25. There is little evidence that the Jubilee was ever put into practice in its fullest and literal sense. Following the exile and loss of tribal affiliation, the Jubilee became nigh impossible to implement. Hence, the concept of the Jubilee took on a more prophetic and messianic meaning. One of the functions of the future prophet Elijah is to inform the Israelites of their tribal groupings and thus allow a literal jubilee to be observed when the Messiah arrives, perhaps even for the first time. At its core, the jubilee is a part of God's economy. In God's economic ideal, There is a reset button whereby every 50 years property is returned to family owners in which the original claimant may be long dead. God declares again that the land must never be permanently sold as it belongs to him. While it is indeed true that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, Psalm 24, he also has a particular piece of property Portioned to his people, purchased property must always be available for redemption by a redeemer, the Goel, prophetically and theologically by extension, spiritual redemption is always available to everyone and at any time. Isaiah would like later describe the Jubilee as the year of the Lord's favor in its prophetic and redemptive sense in the Leviticus. The land being discussed is the promised land. Territory outside Israel is not included in the redemptive activity of the Jubilee. People are. Whether you as an individual are in or outside Israel, the laws of redemption apply. The Jubilee has a universal application, particularly to those suffering from slavery. Slavery has been a troubling topic for Christians through the ages. The Bible does not give a clear commandment against the ownership of slaves as we might expect it to. What it does do is describe the just treatment of slaves, their eventual release and potential inclusion into the people of God. Paul even admonishes a runaway Christian slave to be accepted back by his Christian owner in the epistle of Philemon. The Hebrew Bible does not prescribe jails as we know them today or later in the New Testament. Punishments were enacted immediately, and imprisonment was not one of the optional conditions. What we call slavery in the Bible comes in several forms. Economic hardship, poor business decisions, etc. might result in a person becoming an indentured servant while paying off a debt obligation. Slaves, as we know the word, could also be procured through capture in war and then bought or sold as war booty, and some people might even willingly enter into a form of servitude for other reasons. The family of the slave always had the opportunity to redeem the person and should they not have the means then servitude had a time limit with the hope of freedom always on the horizon the responsibility to redeem was first on the human family with god enacting freedom should they be unable to fulfill the redemption redemption is never far off and god is always watching and he is involved there was has always been a partnership between heaven and earth. God can redeem, of course, but he first sets the task for us to do. He does not leave us alone in that endeavor. He provides the guidelines, the stipulations for how the redemption is enacted. The land is in eternal possession of the Lord, and so are the Israelites. The Lord says that they belong to him as servants whom he rescued from Egypt. While they may become servants of another for a time, everyone in the end returns to him. In biblical agrarian society, anyone could fall on hard times, and Leviticus, the Holiness Code, repeatedly forbids the taking advantage of another's misfortunes. Even interest of loans to fellow Israelites was forbidden. And here we see that there is another difference being made between Israelites and Gentile nations. There are different terms of service for Gentile and Jewish slaves, different methods of doing business and commerce, and different approaches to property. There are even differences and distinctions within the Jewish community itself. Property within gated cities and unwalled villages can be sold permanently. Levitical property cannot, no matter in which location it is found. Agricultural land was to be returned to ancestral ownership. The call of Leviticus is a call to distinguish the sacred from the common, and this includes priestly clans, urban and agricultural land, Jewish and Gentile nations. Now, the Redeemer is called the Doel, rooted from the Hebrew word Geulah or redemption. He is a blood relative kinsman to the poor and indentured servant in question. He has the economic means to pay for the redemption. The laws of redemption do not detail a pacific goel. Redemption is the responsibility of the entire family. Following the conquest of Canaan and into the period of the judges, we see a new oral traditions develop on who the redeemer could be. In the book of Ruth, Boaz must first consult a closer redeemer figure than himself. A hierarchy of redeemers had developed, with the role of redeemer being given to a specific family member, usually a firstborn son. In urban areas, judicial courts were established over time, and they took the role of settling property matters and inheritance issues. The individual responsibility of the Goel well then developed along with the prophetic call of the Jubilee. The kinsman redeemer, the avenger of blood, became a future messianic figure who would enact his redemption during a Jubilee period. This concept develops during the Second Temple period in Jewish literature, that, while it's not included in our Bible, does form the basis of the theology. Of the New Testament. The source of the Redeemer and the concept of redemption is here wrapped in the holiness code of Leviticus. Who is our Redeemer? The Lord. Absolutely. Who will proclaim and enact the redemption? We will, with the help of God. And when can redemption be delivered? Today, if you will but hear his voice. So, a short summary, and now we're into uh, the the Responsibility of Blessings and Curses for the Covenant, Leviticus 26. Now, um, normally when you get to the the end of a contract, uh, you then start to include, well, this is what happens if you do this, and this is what happens if you don't. And uh, so we're now going to start reading some of those things. It's quite a long chapter, and um, we probably won't get through all of it. So instead, I thought what I would do is I would read the first 33 verses and just use, and use that as a basis to try and um, um, for our discussion. And for those of you who got the, the email, um, I'd like us to keep an eye on the first couple of verses um, as they kind of set um, a precedence for essentially the entire holiness code. And what is the connection between them? Let's see. So Leviticus 26. Reading verses 1 to 33. You shall not make idols for yourselves or erect an image or pillar, and you shall not set up a figured stone in your land to bow down to it. For I am the Lord your God. You shall keep my Sabbaths and reverence my sanctuary. I am the Lord. If you walk in my statutes and observe my commandments and do them, then I will give you your rains in their season. The land will yield its increase, and the trees of the field shall yield their fruit. Your threshing shall last to the time of the grape harvest, and the grape harvest shall last to the time of the sowing. And you shall eat your bread to the full and dwell in your land securely. I'll give peace in the land. You shall lie down, and none shall make you afraid. And I will remove harmful beasts from the land, and the sword shall not go through your land. You shall chase your enemies, and they will fall before you by the sword. Five of you will chase a hundred, and a hundred of you will chase ten thousand, and your enemies shall fall before you by the sword. I'll turn to you and make you fruitful, and multiply you, and I'll confirm my covenant with you. You shall eat old store long kept. You shall clear out the old and make way for the new. I'll make my dwelling among you, and my soul shall not abhor you. And I will walk among you, and I will be your God, and you'll be my people. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, that you should not be their slaves. And I have broken the bars of your yoke, and I've made you walk erect. But if you will not listen to me, and you will not do these commandments, if you spurn my statutes, and if your soul abhors my rules, so that you will not do all my commandments but break my covenant, then I'll do this to you. I'll visit you with panic, with a wasting disease and fever that consumes your eyes and makes your heart ache, and you'll sow your seed in vain, and your enemies shall eat of it. I will set my face against you, and you shall be struck down before your enemies. Those who hate you shall rule over you, and you shall flee when none pursues you. And if, in spite of this, you will not listen to me, then I'll discipline you again sevenfold for your sins. And I will break the pride of your power, and I will make your heavens like irons and the earth like bronze. And your strength will be spent in vain, for your land will not yield its increase, and the trees of the the land will not yield their fruit. Then, if you walk contrary to me and will not listen to me, I'll continue striking you sevenfold for your sins. And I will let loose the wild beasts amongst you, which shall bereave you of your children and will destroy your livestock and make you few in number so that your roads will be deserted. And if by this discipline you have not turned to me, but you walk contrary to me, then I will also walk contrary to you. And I myself will strike you sevenfold for your sins and I'll bring a sword upon you. and You shall execute vengeance for the covenant. And if you gather within your cities, I will send pestilence among you and you'll be delivered into the hand of your enemy. When I, supply, when I break your supply of bread, ten women will bake your bread in a single oven. You will dole out your bread again by weight. You will eat, but you will not be satisfied. But if in spite of this and you want to listen to me, but you will walk contrary to me, then I will walk contrary to you in fury. And I myself will discipline you sevenfold for your sins. You shall eat the flesh of your sons. You shall eat the flesh of your daughters. And I will destroy your high places and cut down your incense altars and cast your dead bodies upon the dead bodies of your idols. And my soul will abhor you. And I will lay your cities waste and will make your sanctuaries desolate. And I will not smell your pleasing aromas. And I myself will devastate the land so that your enemies will settle in it shall be appalled at it, and I will scatter you among the nations, and I will unsheath the sword after you, and your land shall be a desolation, and your cities shall be a waste. Wow, that's some pretty heavy words. Um, all right. So, okay, guys, instead of just asking uh, uh, what jumps out at you, because I bet just about everything jumps out at you, and we won't begin we will I'll just start asking verses 1 and 2 so everyone go back to have a look at verses 1 and 2 where the lord says after having talked about a beautiful time the redemption he then changes tactic right we're getting very close to the end and uh, which is very common in uh, contracts if you break this contract this is what happens and the Lord says, you will not engage in idolatry. You will not make idols. You won't erect images or pillars. You'll not set up fig- uh, stone uh, figures to bow down to them because I am the Lord you got. And you will keep my Sabbaths and you will revere my sanctuary. I am the Lord. Okay, so why do you think those two commands need to be the basis for the covenant any ideas what's the connection between idolatry and the sabbath how interesting any ideas guys go for it i know Teresa, you've got something to say because you've just read the Chumash. no because you've got something to say
3: i have I (laughs) i was just unmuting myself before i spoke without unmuting i have actually because um the sabbath is about celebrating god's creation and god isn't it and it's totally focused on god but if you set up an idol that is between you and god so in that sense it's it, it's obviously you're not putting god as number 1 um, in fact it's much worse than that because you're substituting another god so that that was the, the thought i had there i have other is that, is that what
1: the khumash said or is that actually your thought
3: no that was my thought
1: okay great excellent
3: um, I have other thoughts, but maybe not at this point, you know, because the, the, quite a lot is in this chapter, especially in the translation I had in the Humash. It's quite interesting. Um, so I won't bog I won't it now, but I'll come back if I feel that it's something. Thank you.
1: Thank you. Once again, the Leviticus, like, like all of the Bible, but Leviticus is actually just packed with theology. And just going over some of these sentences, I was um, looking at them uh, yesterday, and I was thinking, oh, my gosh, uh, this is going to take six weeks just to unpack some, just one or two of these sentences. They're just loaded. Um, Just words, sentences like, my soul longs after you. God has a soul. What does that mean? Um, And. Uh, those sort of things um there's these this these 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 constant referrals to you walk, I walk if you don't walk I won't walk um, and and there's a lot, lot of if then conditional uh, statements um, I'm always struck by you're the God of peace, and yet you bless me by killing my enemies. what? I mean uh, you know if you walk after me, then five of you will chase the bad guys with a sword. I don't want to chase anybody with a sword. I just don't want there to be bad guys, period. Can't we just have peace, perpetual peace, you know, so you know, love and help me God, um, all that um, peace, love and hippie stuff. Um, but no, you get this sort of idea of, well, oh, wait a second, uh, when it comes time for you to engage in war, what does the psalm say? You, the Lord, prepare my hands for battle. You prepare bless my hands for battle. Why would you bless me for warfare? Why don't you just bless me with peace? Um, It's one of those things where uh, you know sometimes evil has to be confronted, um, and sometimes that confrontation is is actually violent, uh, which of course brings up you know things like Hitler and stuff. You know those are the wars that you should fight, and uh, we all you know we always prayed for our soldiers, bless them. Looks like I'm praying for Micah fervently, right? Um, It's not that you want them to do anything, but if they do do something, then please, Lord, really take care of them. All right. Uh, Anything to do with idolatry and the Sabbath and or the reverence for the sanctuary, which is rather obscure because, you know, we haven't really built the darn thing yet. You know, we're at Mount Sinai. Remember where we are from the other chapter? We're about to construct this thing, and then we haven't even built a temple yet. Um, this is all future, but God is saying, don't forget, I need you to, to have a reverence for my holy place, right? Uh, Vida, you had a hand raised, and we're very patient.
4: Yeah, I think it's just really interesting because when you talk about the idolatry, it, it's really God is, all of this comes back to where later God's going to give you on um, in Deuteronomy the, the blessings and the curses, you know, choose life. And this is coming back to God before he even gives you the choice of blessing and curses. He's making it absolutely clear how it is that you can get the blessings. And he's giving you clear instructions here not to have anything before God. And that's basically love God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. And and we hear in the First Testament and even the Jewish people understand that as the biggest commandment of the Ten Commandments. It surmises everything. And so God's saying, just make sure that I am first and foremost in your life. And then when you come to the Sabbaths and the sanctuary, God is not just saying, now do that and love me, be set apart. This is going to show the world that you are different. And Mm -hmm. I think, in a sense, this is really showing God is saying, you love me and then you be basically be a vessel for, for me to use to bless the rest of the world. And in, in my understanding, if this is what I'm seeing here quite clearly, is God saying you love me? Do what I'm saying because you are my. You are there to represent me, and, and keeping the Sabbath, reverencing the sanctuary, keeping my commandments. These are all the things that show us as distinct from the rest of the world.
1: All right, I agree with you 100. percent And now I'm going to say the usual Christian thing, but there is absolutely no way that The Israelites can keep these commands anyway. But they do. Ah. Even
4: Abraham had the commandments before they were even given in your heart.
1: I agree with you. And and we, we read these texts where God says, you know, you should do these things. And then the op, the there's there's always that um, phrase in Christian circles, but we can't keep the law, so therefore, you know what was the point? And Jesus comes. So what is all this then? And I think because we have to remember. It was always about the heart. King David, a man after after God's own heart. But you actually committed adultery. Yes, he did. And he committed murder. Yes, he did. And he lied. Oh, absolutely. But he was not the, uh, he was still a man after God's own heart. So we can still fail, absolutely. But where was our heart? And I think that's the big thing. And 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 for me, I look at these two things and go, okay, idolatry. Sabbath, how do they relate to my heart, which, which is going to walk away from the Lord. It's going to. And, 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 and many times in our prayers, we say, Lord, I've wandered. Please accept me back. Okay, yeah, absolutely. But there's something about failing before the Lord and then inwardly desiring to worship something else, that, 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 that disregard as, no, you're no longer my king, I take off the shackles of the yoke of the kingdom of heaven and choose to be my own God. Um, and, and what is the first thing that God made holy? We all know. It is the Sabbath. And if we can't even bother to to accept that that's the truth, then truly we're going to have a real problem with everything else.
4: It's very interesting that you say I was reading i was searching this on the sabbath when we were talking a while back and i was looking at the hebrew words for sabbath and that's when god makes a sabbath day and makes it um, he whatever it says in genesis i can't remember the exact word but he he sets it apart that day and that hebrew word is from is the root from which sabbath comes yes and that word is only other used one more time in the bible and it's the used at the end of the manna, when the manna ceases, that same word to cease. And that just was so, it, I mean, I just see Christ, you know, that just opens such a, a, a Christophany for me of what, you know, God is doing there. Brilliant. It's just so amazing that that word there and that is the root for the Sabbath. And, and it starts there when God has finished his work. It's, it's amazing.
1: Um, we agree with you, I think, totally. All right, so another bunch of hands raised there. This is all to do with the topic idolatry and Sabbath, is it? Uh, Linda, go for it. You're up, Scotland.
5: As you know, I just I've got simple thoughts. Um, just just making the connection that that the Shabbat was it was an appointed time. It was God set an appointed time to be with the with His people. It's a moed. It's it's a contract with them. So idolatry. You know, if they go and meet with another god it's breaking that contract but also the you know god said that wherever his feet are that's that's holy place and his presence was in was among them it was in the tabernacle it was among them so that you know his, his presence is always there and so if you go and worship another god who's not there it's it's definitely idolatry but there's a, a kind of connection in, in the holiness of god's presence with them god's presence was in the in the camp it was in the tabernacle it was in the temple his presence is with them on shabbat because he promised he would meet with them it's it's a holy place and it's a holy time and and you you were, they were told to observe and keep it
1: yeah now i just want to draw one slight correction i agree with everything but there's no actual command that says on the sabbath you need to worship Right. That's actually a, that's actually tradition. OK. You, when, when did when did you worship the worship the Lord in the tabernacle every day? Remember, we had daily prayers. It doesn't matter whether it was a Sunday, a Thursday or the Sabbath. You had to worship the Lord. The point of Shabbat is rest and it's a gift to man. It's we we if, if we if we too too often and even and I'm going where's our brother Mordecai, he will probably also tell us that that the Sabbath can actually become a work, and that instead of actually resting, it actually become a chore, and that has suddenly become not what it was. God rested and he was refreshed. The power. The healing power of the Sabbath to refresh us, to prepare us. That doesn't mean you shouldn't worship. That's not what I'm saying. But but to say that's the definite day, no, 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 no. It's a special day for resting. Worship anytime you like. And that's why Paul says later on in an epistle, I really don't care what day you worship the Lord, just worship. But that doesn't mean Shabbat's not Shabbat. And that's that's where people get confused, particularly also in the Christian world. Yeah. All right. Where where
5: Shevet and Shabbat is that the, that's the same root, isn't it, to sit?
1: Correct. Yep, that's correct. Yeah, or in or or, or Shvita to strike. Yeah. I always find that very funny. You know, like uh, the the same root word for having a strike, which we used to have a lot when we were quite a socialist country here. Um, and you remember that, don't you, Linda? Every three or four weeks, the Dan the Dan History route would have a strike here, and the garbage would pile the
5: schools. The schools were always late start back in September because it was
1: always a teacher always, strike. Always a teacher strike, yeah, always a teacher strike, and um, and uh, and so it's a it's a, it's the it's a very special time, and that's the reason why it's at the start of the festivals in Leviticus twenty three because it follows the seven day pattern, and everything's following the seven day seven day pattern, um, but it itself is um, uh, a day of for man. And that's, it's, it's an incredible gift. And I, that's why in, in Hebrew, you call it Kabbalat Shabbat, the receiving of the Sabbath. Because like any gift, if you don't receive it, you're not much of a gift. You've actually got to take it and, and, and use it. And um, it's incredibly healthy. Oh, my gosh. Try and work 24-7. You will die. Um, and uh, uh, the, we, have, we have to be really, really careful. But there is this thing. God made that. He said, that's holy. The first thing is holy. And we, as as humans, if if we if we skip that idea, you know, we're, we're then what else of the Lord do we really consider holy anymore? We, if we can't get His first thing that He called holy, holy, not much else is going to be, become holy. What I do like about uh, this verse is He also links a holy place. Now, as Protestants, okay, I shall admit to our, one of our. Um, things is we don't really like holy places, <laughs> you know, or holy people, or holy anything really. Um, we tend to uh, dismiss them. Some some Protestant traditions, the older ones, okay, like uh, the one I'm part of, we we like to decorate our holy places and consider them holy. But but some, not not so much, um, which is a bit of a shame. I'm, I'm, I'm doing a wedding uh, on Thursday. And um, they're not part of our community. They're from another community. And uh, I asked them, "Why? Why are you coming to to have um, a wedding in our church? You don't you don't like our our denomination. You know you, know, you don't particularly like what we do. Um, and do you know what their answer was? You have a very nice church. And I was like, well, it's a little bit hypocritical, people. You know. Um, you know. But but uh, but we happen to. Have a nice church, because we think we've got a really nice God, and um, we we in the past we went to really decorate and build big big buildings for God, because we thought it was worth it. He was worth making a nice building. Um, Now, uh, Teresa, you you worship it or used to worship Mary Magdalene? Is that right? Is that true?
3: No, I I I am going to be worshiping there. I have started worshiping there. Yes, and I was in. Um, a different Anglican church before that. Yeah. And,
1: and, and do you, know, and you remember who built St. Mary Magdalene or who were part of the designers? Who was part of the design was, a
3: yes, Ben Oliel, who was a messi- one of the first Messianic rabbis, apparently.
1: Correct, yes. And so the actual church has a lot of temple features. It and does. If, if you happen to know your Bible very well, you walk into this church and you look at it and you go, oh, my gosh, look at that. Twelve steps up to the altar. The way it's design, uh, designed, designed in, in groups of twelve, uh, stars of David here and there. He's like, wow, this guy's uh, really quite. He took a lot of of effort into making sure that the building also was a form of worship. And uh, like, if you're gonna, if you're gonna, if anything is gonna have God's name attached to it, it should be special. Which means we really should treat our Bibles special. Okay. You, don't, you don't take them into toilets. You don't sit on them. You don't put them on the floor. You, you sort of guard them, um, but also uh, his holy places. And it's reflected, I guess, here as part of the holiness code. Keep idolatry far away from you. And make sure you, you remember that the first thing I kept holy was, um, was a special day. And I've actually also got special holy buildings.
3: Can I just say something, Aaron, about that church? Because I did used to belong to it and I left it 16 years ago and I'm I feel God's calling me back there. But when I very, very first went to it, I used to sit in it and I used to get this strange feeling, it was really odd, because I didn't know the history. And I used to think, oh, that was strange. I felt like I was in Jerusalem. And this would happen week in, week out. And then one day I found out about the history, saw the stars of David in two of the windows. And and so I then felt gosh there's something that that building is communicating in a way and that's all I can say I can't explain it but it was a very strange feeling and I feel I'm being called back there now yes
1: oh great hope you're blessed hope you're blessed by that worship there and good community okay Kate you have a hand raised and you've been incredibly patient so back to another fantastic accent
6: oh I've, I've almost forgotten um what I was going to talk about but because it's been so interesting. I mean, Vida especially, I was following that. Because she, she said what I was thinking, but elabor- she can elaborate with much more detail because her biblical knowledge is so good. But th- when, I, when I read this and when I was listening to you reading, it struck me as very much as this: um, the Lord is saying fatherly things to us. He's saying, you know, if, if you're good children, this is what I will give you, this is what will happen. This is what I will give to your land. The sword won't go through your land, everything will be lovely. But if you don't behave, if you do, in other words, if you're moving across to um start worshipping idols, these things will happen to you. And it's how you sometimes, perhaps not so much now, but my my mum would say, you know, you put the fear of God into children, you tell them. And if you don't behave, this could happen. You give them the worst possible scenario. Because when you read the end of that, it was mouth open as to what was being said. Yeah. And that's what he's saying. You, you can't go into this thing half-heartedly. It's either you're with me or this is going to happen to you. And who wouldn't be afraid of what he's just said? Lots of bodies being cast out, eating your children's flesh. I mean, these are unthinkable things to us. So it is, it is like a parent saying, worshipping idols should be unthinkable to you. It should be unthinkable to you. And I think that's what, that was what I was thinking until v- Vida explained it much more clearly. But no, it, it's important to just, it's, it it's a fatherly thing, and we have to read the Bible in our own way, if you like, until we know better, the things that we get from it are the things we're meant to be getting from it. Yeah. And I'm, you know, the Lord is my father as well as,
1: my God, you know, amen. Yeah, amen. Um, for those that were listening to the sermon on Sunday, did anybody listen to the sermon on Sunday? So, Reuven, um, in part of his preaching, uh, said something which I was i was actually struck uh, personally. Everyone, everyone has parts of sermons where you go, Wow, that was pretty amazing. Um, it was the Mary Martha story, which we had discussed on a Wednesday night. Yeah. And he drew, he drew attention to the fact that Jesus mentioned her name twice, Martha, Martha. And then he said that only occurs eight other times in the Bible. That's a very, that's a very classic Jewish piece of exegesis to say, well, here's a pattern. And he went through, you know, Abraham, Abraham, Moses, Moses, Moses Saul, Saul. but he also made one which I've never thought before, Eli, Eli, my God, my God. And I was like, that's incredible. Because then he turned around and he said, it's the only time that Jesus ever actually said, my God. He always said, my Father. But it says right, right there, he, there was a switch. And it was like, yes, he's quoting the Psalms. Absolutely. But it's a, it was incredibly powerful for me. Yeah, was,
6: yeah, was, no, I see that.
1: Yeah, it was a, it was a very, very. So it's, it's, we, we need to wrestle all of these texts and, and, and keep learning, and it's going to speak to us in every little way. All right. Okay. So our. will um, who are we going to, do? Janet, from uh, sunny Canada.
0: Sorry, I don't have the accent. <laughs> um, I'm going back to um, the connection between idolatry and the Sabbath. Um, what, what, I, what I sort of thought about there was um, they're both very tangible. I mean, we talk about idols now, but there's could be in our heart. This is very tangible. These are things that you can see, these images. But also, keeping the Sabbath is very tangible as well. If, 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 if a nation or a person is keeping the Sabbath, it's, it's um, tangible. And so is the reverence for the sanctuary. And I was thinking, could one sort of put this to the way that if you're going to keep these things, then you're not going to succumb to the idolatry that's going to be around you. If there, there's, there's something, you're doing something. That is going to actually um, be a protection against turning and making those idols, and, and we don't. I mean, we don't necessarily think of keeping the Sabbath as having power. Is not the word, but it really does. I mean, one often hears the fact or or the word said, you know, that that the Sabbath kept the Jewish people as Jewish people, and so it's it's sort of an anomaly because you are not doing something but you are doing something and it it is going to it has kept you know it's kept the nation of israel it's kept the jewish people in the diaspora as yeah. the jewish people it has been one of the it's one of the most striking things in the diaspora i mean i live in i live near a little town and it's it's sort of a 24/7 kind of place in the way of the shops but the shops are always open on Saturday. They might be closed on Sunday, but there's one uh, little store. It's a lovely store with women's clothing and it's owned by a Jewish lady and she shuts it on Saturday. Good on her. A very good on And they had a big sidewalk sale a couple of weeks ago and she was shut during that day. And I'm thinking there is something about that um, and the reverence for the sanctuary I mean, we often think of reverence, I mean, I'm I'm not sure here what it would be in the Hebrew, but there is there's also a, there's something about that that keeps people from idolatry. If you are actually carrying out reverence for something, it
1: puts something in you. That's right. Carrying out reverence. By not doing anything. That's an interesting, it's a a good Christian word, isn't it? What do I need to do? Uh, Nothing. (laughs) But at the same time, yes. And that'll follow in the next couple of verses. But we set up the idea of keep my Sabbaths, right? And then the next chapter, walk in my ways. But you just told me not to do anything. Yeah, you'll get there. All right. Um, Vita, you've got a hand raised.
4: A quick question. On this sanctuary, um, I have a question on it, but just to make sure i understood it correctly, is it a singular sanctuary? Is it talking about the Holy of Holies or the, or the temple in general? Is it singular?
1: It's not talking about the temple. It's, just, it's talking about a holy place, the Hechal, the holy just a place. holy
4: place. But is it singular? Singular. Okay, because I find that interesting. And we assume it's meaning the, the tabernacle. That's what I viewed. But then I remembered that they worshiped also, mainly worship was done in the tent of meeting.
1: Correct. There was that the the Leviticus seems to blend that there's this other building somewhere. Yes. Yeah.
4: So that that just maybe, and then I'm thinking, is that really what God's inferring here as a building? And I know I'm coming with my Pentecostal kind of (laughs) hatch. That's
3: great. Good. But
4: is it not our, our, our bodies? Is that not perhaps what God's doing as the body? this sanctuary, this holy,
1: you know, of am I being bit to... No, no, no. That's that's. There's always, remember, there's multiple levels of reading. So you've got your initial literal reading. There is a holy place. And if there's a holy place, there's a holy place. We're not going to say it's not holy. But if there's no holy place, well, then do we not have one? Well, wait. There are, keep going up the levels. There's other holy places. And that includes your body being a temple of the Holy Spirit. And thus, make sure you have reverence for it too. God has fashioned you, God has cared for you, so take care of it. And um, uh, we'll probably admit that we don't always do that. Um, okay, one more hand raised, and then we will hit, go on further into the chapter. So, Sharon, what have you got for us?
2: Uh, hi, guys. Nice to see you all. Uh Yeah, I was just thinking with respect to your comments, it was a couple comments back there, but the whole concept is just that we're, you know how, you know how it's said in um, Matthew 4-1 that Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness and just always being led by the spirit as opposed to, um, you know, with respect to your earlier comment, uh, um, Aaron, that, you know, it's it's like Psalm 68-20, our God is a God who saves, the sovereign Lord rescues us from death. And the whole... You know, sovereignty of God, you know, coming from a, maybe a Baptist background over here but um or something reformed or something. But the thing is, the concept that, you know, God is sovereign and then he sovereignly leads us. And so our primary task is just to stay in touch with God and then be led by the spirit as opposed to just doing our own thing. You know, with respect to your comments about how we, you know, how we keep on the right path versus following our own will. So, you know?
1: So let's unpack what you just said. So how, do, how are you led by the Spirit?
2: I think, yeah, for, for me, I think you need to spend a lot of time with God, and then I find I'm very Spirit-led.
1: If you're spending time with God, what are you doing?
2: For me, like, I mean, setting aside specific time to read, pray.
1: So you're reading, you're reading what?
2: The Bible, the Torah. Right?
1: And then once you read the Bible, what, are you, what happens then? Well, then you do it. Yeah, there you go. Well done. You're back to my team again.
2: Fantastic. <laughs> I mean, I'm not on a different team.
0: We're on the same team. <laughs>
1: Yeah. So let's have a look at the 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 doing and putting into practice. So, don't make idols. Idolatry is right mm. the big sin. Making 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 anything else king of our lives, and that can be a whole gambit of stuff. And of course, modern idolatry, ancient idolatry, it's all it's all the same. Then there's that observance of the Sabbath. This idea of you know. Resting in the Lord, taking the gift from heaven, acknowledging the first thing that God would even dare call holy in terms of all of this creation. Also acknowledging special places, holy places, but then also perhaps even the extension ourselves. All right. Knowing we can't fulfill all of the Torah, it's not possible yet. You can, just as Abraham did. So it's a heart issue. Keep that in mind. If you walk in my statutes, not that you actually can, and if you observe all my commandments, don't even know why I've got this verse in here because you can't do it, then I'll give you your rains and your seasons, not that I'm going to because you can't. Well, that verse will be completely superfluous. So it's got to do with a heart issue. Israel, if really I'm your king. Yeah, I know you're not perfect. I've got all that figured out. I've got redemption figured out. I've got confession figured out. I've got repentance figured out. But if you've made me your king and we're we're trying to be a light to the nations and you're reading and discussing my word and I'm actually in your midst, then look what's going to happen, people, rain. And in the Middle East, that's a really big deal okay like as of as of right now and for the next couple of months it is fine and sunny until further notice okay we don't get anything called rain for the next several uh months of the year and those were a pretty special uh place not that obviously we need it these days because we actually uh, desalinate but back in the day this was an incredible dependence upon the lord and uh this this idea that god himself had control of the seasons they were natural yes but there was also an element that God could interact with. The earth, the land, it'll bring forth its fruit, and you'll have this incredible abundance. We'll have grape harvest, we'll have, um It will eat our bread, and we will dwell in peace. Okay, I like the verse 6. I'll give peace in the land. Well, that's great. But then the next couple of verses, we get back into battle again. So we have to remember that peace doesn't necessarily mean an absence of war, right? Um, we have to, there's, a, there's always that tension between what do you really, really, really mean by peace, okay? Even harmful beasts, which, of course, there's an abundance of them. Um, anybody living in Australia will know that anything that crawls is incredibly harmful. So we end up killing anything that crawls, you know, um, spiders, snakes, small children, you know, any of that kind of stuff, all very dangerous. Um, I will remove them from your land. And the sword will not go through you. There's this this idea of of battle, and instead, we get to chase the bad guys. Okay, why are we even fighting them in the first place? I'm not 100% sure, but there's an acknowledgement. And I remember um, that discussion uh, love your enemies, but remember they're still your enemies, right? That doesn't just because you love your enemies doesn't mean that we now need to lay down our guns and let them take over our country, okay. Loving your enemy and saying, "I don't really want to do this, but I will, and I'll do it well. I mean I've been trained for this, but it's not something I particularly want to do. Um, uh, uh, battle is not something we should uh, seek, but if it has to come upon us, then may the Lord grant us victory. So we get to chase the enemy five for a hundred that's a pretty big deal, and that has happened, has it not? It's actually happened all throughout. History that includes some nations which you might not even think could do such a horrible thing, like (gasps) the Crusaders. Okay, they were a very small number of soldiers and they beat up thousands. Okay, oh, but they're all horrible. Yeah, well, why'd God give them the victory then? So let's just be careful. Remember who stopped the Turks attacking Vienna? Who stopped the Berbers pushing into France? Yeah. There was Crusader armies, so put everybody in their place. The Jews did this too. Okay, Jewish army, especially in the modern day, uh, uh, one or two people held off entire armies. Um, Incredible stories. Okay, so we see this actually occurring based in history and in our modern day. Uh, God makes us fruitful. This includes also. Human, human fertility, which is all shrinking in the world, by the way. Um, and uh, and what does the Lord say in verse 8? Uh, five of Verse 9, I will turn to you, I'll make you fruitful, I'll multiply you, and I'll confirm my covenant. It's like, well, why would you want to do that? You've already made the covenant. Yes, but part of that covenant actually is an ongoing Process. What does Paul say? Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. It's not just an event. Once saved, always saved. Now we'll just sit under a tree and wait for the rapture. It's not the way it works. And even God walks, as we see here, walks with his people. He walks with us. You know, and he walks with me, he talks with me. is a beautiful song because it's actually very true. Okay. God confirms his covenant, which is on a which is in a in a in a Ongoing thing. Uh, there's this, uh, I, again, in verses uh, 10 and 11, and a, a continual expression of how abundant the blessing will be, which is very physical, okay, um, in terms of like uh, physically being able to have lots of continual sustenance and, and food and property. And in verse 11, here comes an incredible blessing I will make my dwelling with you. Well, how's he going to do that? What's the obvious? Expression,
2: it's
1: in our hearts, yes. There you go. As, as, as he's going to make it in our hearts, yes, he's going to build a tent, absolutely. But remember, the actual Hebrew says, Build me a tent so I can live in you, right? Not in it. So, very, very cleverly well done in the Hebrew. Build me a mishkan because I want to live in you. Um, Mordecai, you've got a hand raised. Well, if we
7: are holy, he's always with us, he's in our midst, and I mean, everything we do, you know because his uh, lordship. But I just want to say something about ro- verse 9. If okay. I may. Yep. Talking about I will share my covenant with you. You know? So we're recently talking about this with the people we are teaching, because uh, from their point of view, it's, the, the covenant of Torah is unbreakable, right? But here, even this piece of, you know, teaching that I download on the website, like to read what, what is written from Torah Kohanim. It's a commentary book about this. By Ikra chapter. They say, and I have said, uh, my covenant with you means a new covenant, surprisingly, not like the first covenant which you broke, but a new covenant which will not be broken. As it is said, I will form a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I formed with their forefathers that they broke from Jeremiah. So the Torah's Kohanim is later, it's like after Jeremiah. And they basically say what we say about the New Covenant in here. They, are, they, are, they say they are, it's pointing the Torah. So what happened to the covenant that got made with our forefathers before Torah? It's gone. So we have the Torah right now. So And if, if this is the case, and Jeremiah is a later prophet than Moshe, so what is he talking about, right? It's so interesting.
2: What is the relationship between the New and the Old Covenant? That's the idea, right?
7: That's the idea, but you know, some people think that God makes only one covenant forever, like you keep it, that's it. You know, sometimes out the bay, but it's okay, we signed the contract, you know, we need to pay the rent.
1: Let's remember (laughs) that the covenant that that we make on Mount Sinai was broken before even Moses got down the mountain. Of course, several times. I mean, that's the biggest example. Yes, and so you go, oh my God, God broke the covenant, so therefore it's all null and void. Yeah, well, wait. We broke the covenant, and God turned around and said, "Yeah, you're still my people, I get it and uh, and so there's this this idea of this ongoing covenant with, which then leads up into this prophetic sense there's going to be this new one it's going yeah, to be absolutely point, yeah. fa- it's going to be absolutely fantastic and um, you know, don't that's don't so- you think,
2: Aaron don't you think Aaron stepping back and just looking at the overall huge thing of history right like God's overall plan is he not just sort of showing His glory through all this right like the whole purpose he shows his glory by showing that he he had to send his own redeemer he there wasn't enough
7: but the thing is god doesn't change you know it's kind of challenging because some of the students we are teaching they teach ago we are claiming that god has changed his mind no god never gives up on us that's why he keeps renewing the covenant that's the reason why we have ongoing covenant it's not it's not about him it's about us what do, you, do we want him to do? That's it, and close the Hanut. So no, he's always trying to act and behave like a father, you know, when you're a father, you always try to, you know, not to give up. I mean, of course, the worldly fathers are good examples of it, but he's the heavenly father, he never gives up. Yeah, and it's... It doesn't change.
2: Right on, yeah, that he never changes, right on, Mahdi. And it's not what we want him to do, it's what he's doing and what we're trying to grasp. You know what I mean? It's always God-centered, the world, from a biblical perspective. It's not us-centered. You know what I mean?
1: Well, we all agree with you. Yeah. Now what's your response? So, Vida, you're up?
4: Can I ask Mochi a question? Because I find fascinating what you said, that they understood this covenant believe the uh to be the new, a new covenant. Is that because of verse 10? And you will eat the old and bring forth the old because of the new. Is that kind of how they correlate an old and new covenant there? And then it makes me think of in the New Testament, where Lord Jesus says to the scribe, that the scribes will bring forth the old with the new or something like that. Is there a link there to this whole covenant thing, Moti, that you're talking about, do you think?
7: Could you please repeat it again? Sorry.
4: Where it says in verse 9, establish my covenant and you're talking that this is a new covenant which they understand it to be is that because of verse 10 and you will eat the old store and bring forth the old because of the new is that how they're kind of linking a covenant here to be a newish covenant
7: of course it's like he's definitely talking about the covenant and israelites didn't have a torah but they were aware of the covenant that gavram and our forefathers made with him. That's that's how Moshe went back to Egypt, and t- they told them, "You know what? God of your forefathers sent me." So what makes that God special? Because we, our forefathers, made a covenant with him, the covenant and the promises. And so now he is talking about something new. New. Yeah. And yeah, and yeah. I also want to say something about verse twelve. If we are there, if we are not there, I can just move myself. Go for it. Yeah, are we there? <laughs> just. So he says, I will walk among you. You know, there's an explanation from uh, same book and also different rabbis, like, they say he will walk among them as he was walking in the Garden of Eden. So it's basically another promise, you know, like, if you obey and if you try to imitate me, if you take more steps towards me, you know, I might just come back and, you know, walk among you because the first human beings, Adam and Eve, were kind of holy. Because they were meeting with him, you know, and then when they sinned against him, then we were cast out of his presence. And then since then, we we're trying to go back.
2: Yeah, and and well, yeah, like he longs that relationship, longs for that relationship with all of us, and that you know the different passages that say that God is a jealous God. Like exactly what you're saying, Marty. Like, he wants us. He loves us. He wants to be with us. He wants to spend time with us. And I was, I think I was trying to get at that a little bit more, too, that our main job really is just to spend time with God and then listen to God and then be led by the Spirit. You know, how was Christ led by the Spirit? I mean, he just listened and obeyed, I guess, right? Like, what, you know, everything you're
1: saying is right. Listen and obey. Yep. That's what, what we've always said. Read the Bible, do the Bible. And that's exactly what God is saying here walk this out. And our response is, it's too hard. Well, no, it's not, because it's not about the letter of the law. That's not to say that the letter of the law is evil, but it's the spirit of the law, because God himself knows he can't keep all 613, because if, that, if that's true, God's setting us up for a fail, and that would make absolutely no sense. But it's not the way that uh, this works out. And so God wants to walk amongst us, which is incredible to think about. He wants to dwell amongst us. And his soul, which is just a mind-boggling thought, okay, won't, uh, won't, won't abhor us. And we have this relationship. He's God. We're his people. I am the Lord, brought you out of Egypt. That's his business calling card. He has done something. It's very fresh in the memories of the people who are hearing this. Uh, and you will not be their slaves. Whose slaves are we going to be?
4: God.
1: Yes. <laughs> you won't be their slaves, Are you're going to be mine. Okay, that sounds pretty good. Yes, Lord, it sounds absolutely fantastic. And Paul is one of those great guys who just says, I accept it. I am a slave to Jesus. He's like, okay, fantastic.
4: But it's, sorry to interrupt, Erin, it just struck me how fascinating it is. It's through the whole of Leviticus, God is constantly telling the people, I brought you out of the land of Egypt. I brought you out of the land of Egypt. I brought you out. This is really something that is, is fundamental to, I think, the whole of Leviticus in this freedom now that we have to walk in under these rules.
1: Yes, because think about the way we would say. It's like I've been brought by the blood of the land. You know, yeah. God is saying, I paid a price for you. Do you understand how special yeah. well, you are? Well, we've been
4: raised from Egypt, the world. Yeah. Paid, yes,
1: exactly. I've paid a price for you, was, was my son. I, and then you, every time I keep forgetting, he reminds me, no, 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 you're special. I paid a price for you, Aaron. I, I bought you. And then he, the, what's going to be your response? I'm going to obey. That's more like it, captain. Here, come, come, come walk with me. I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to live with you. Here's my spirit. Here are my angels. Uh, away we go. And then you go, but I fell. I know. I'm picking you up. Let's go. Let's keep going. This sort of activity, this ongoing Um, walk—it's one of those um, things I like about Hebrew. Is that emunah is a verb; it's an action—you do it. Faith safek is a noun—you don't do nothing, right? You know, you just stop. And yeah, well, that's not so good. (laughs) And walking doesn't have to be very fast. This sort of idea, like you know, just walk, and you can. Them, the motion, the activity, is uh, is all positive. But once we stop considering and do nothing, that's a problem. Okay, uh, Moti, you've got a hand raised?
7: Yeah, I just want to answer to her question because they and we kept forgetting. You know, in the Bible, as Aaron usually says, God repeats one special specific word, remember, 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 remember. Can you imagine they just crossed the Red Sea they saw a huge army got destroyed. And like three days after, they were about to kill Moshe for not giving them the water. So like, we people are a bit weird, you know. <laughs> he needs to be reminded all the time. Remember what I did to you? You remember what I did to you? Do you remember? Yeah, we need to remember. That's why he 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 tells us. He, he's not being arrogant or something. You know what I did to you? It's not like this, you know. You need to remember.
2: Well, that that's what I... Yeah, that's what I was thinking when you guys were talking, Maddie and and, and and everyone. It's just that we're going to be slaves to something, Aaron, to your point. Like we're slaves to God or slaves to our passions, slaves to our lusts, slaves to our sin, you know, or slaves to God. And so you choose your your slave slave master, and God's a much nicer one than our constantly fluctuating passions that can never be satisfied. You know how the flesh is never satisfied. So why try to satisfy
1: it, right? Yeah. I, I agree. Let's all be slaves to God. All right. So now after giving all the positives, and they're absolutely wonderful, um, unfortunately, the negatives seem to be twice as many verses, which tends to be a biblical pattern, unfortunately. Um, and we actually remember this as it follows up into the um, New Testament. Everyone remember the fruits of the Spirit? Yeah, there are nine of them. Anyone know the fruits that are really bad? 18 of them. <laughs> okay, Paul lists 18 really bad stuff, and then he gives you the good ones. So it's two to one. And very biblical pattern. And here we come with a, quite a long description of what happens if we don't walk with the Lord. It's not positive, but it's a warning. Okay? And it's something that we we, uh, we, we got to do. All right. So if you will not listen okay, and do, hear and do are always linked together, hearing the word of God, doing them. Blessed is he who hears my words and does them, says Jesus. Same thought here. Of course it is. Same guy. If you don't listen, you don't do. If you spurn my statutes and if your soul abhors my rules, remember God has actually now flipped it. My soul will love you. But if your soul abhors me, this is what happens. If you break my covenants, because I'm not breaking my end, nowhere does God say he's going to ever break his side of the bargain. Right? That's how good he is. Right? So it's all on us on this side. Then, okay, if then statements, then this is what happens. This is what I will do. Right? The Lord actually goes into action, and it's not pleasant. He brings the panic. He brings the diseases. He, he, he says, okay, you're going you're gonna to sow, sow your grains? You're not going to be able to have the time to harvest them. Some other guy is going to come in and eat all your hard work. Right? And uh, isn't that going to be horrible? I'll set my face against you. Heaven forbid that God ever does that. Those, that idea of you know, the blessing that we get from Deuteronomy. Lord, turn your face upon you. Here's, here's God saying, look, if you don't do what I, what I say, then I'll turn my face against you. You won't like that. I'm not coming with my face to bless. I'm coming with my face to do something else. You get struck down by your enemy, right? Those who hate you, they rule over you, and you. And I'll, this is an interesting one. And you flee when no one pursues you. It's actually a proverb: the wicked run when no one is chasing them. Okay.
3: Is that a
6: ghastly thing? Is that is that something like you know we run from the things in the dark? Is it yes? Like a thing? Yeah. Is that kind of? It's that's kind of, when I read it. It's like oh, yep. yeah, because we do that. We I do that. Yep. I run. Yeah. No like one's that.
1: actually chasing you, but you're running away anyway. You're not doing your job. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And in spite of this, you will not listen. So again, this whole idea of Shema. Now remember, Shema in Hebrew means hear, but it also means obey. So they're linked. Okay. This idea of not listening to the Lord. God's speaking. It's not like he's not speaking. He is speaking, but he's not being listened to. Then I'll discipline you again. Yeah, I'll I'll, I'll keep chastising you until you um uh, come come about and he he will uh begin to uh, begin to destroy the land right there's that connection between people and the earth the earth's going to pay for human sin which is a horrible thought but it happens and the earth gets destroyed every time we mess up whether it's bad economic policies war devastation you know all kinds of things we we, we can uh, rip the earth apart when we were actually supposed to uh, have dominion take care of it, okay? If you walk contrary to me, the idea of halacha that you actually do do things, not just not listen, but actually now physically do things that are against the will of the Lord, which links into listening, God continues to, to bring in the punishments. So instead of keeping the bad guys and the wild beasts away, he brings them in instead. And they'll actually destroy your livestock and your kids. I mean, that seems rather drastic, but it's a it's responsibility. You know, you know, why is God punishing the children for something that I do? Okay. Well, as a parent, I'm responsible and I'm responsible for my family. If my, my five-year-old kid doesn't tell me what to do, right? I make a family decision. If I make a good decision, my five-year-old is blessed. Make a poor decision. My five-year-old is not blessed, and that also goes with the Lord. That there is a burden of responsibility both for shepherds of communities and for parents of people and prime ministers. You know, prime minister goes bad, there goes the country. I'm sure Canada would have lots to say about that at the moment, unfortunately. Um, but a lot of us can can join you in that. Um, and uh, and and then there's this interesting verse in 23. If you still, if this discipline that I'm giving you, and you still don't turn back, well, then I'll bring more. And there's this sort of um, level of, of uh, woe. So here's my question. Does this still happen, or are we in the age of grace? And God doesn't act like this anymore, in which case it's all wonderful. Uh, what do you think, guys?
6: I, th- I think my mother always said, you know, we, she always felt that we were, she, we were punished in this life for previous what's happened in previous lives. And she wasn't sophisticated in her thought, but she always would say, you know, when things aren't going well, it's not necessarily what we've been doing, it's what's happened before us.
1: That's possible. It's possible that the sins, you know, travel to different generations. Yes, it's definitely true.
2: Yeah, Aaron, it's definitely true because it says in the Old Testament that the sins will to the third and fourth generation.
1: Yep, Yep. that's definitely true. So there's also though repentance, a generation that repents stops that, Mm -hmm. as opposed to I'm repenting and God goes, no, I don't care because I'm too busy punishing you know your your great grandfather. Um, That that doesn't 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 also bode well. But is there? I don't want to give it away because then I'll, I'll say it. So I'll let Vida have a go. Go for it, Vida.
4: No, it's just very clear that God is, Israel is an example to all the nations. Paul says it very clearly. We should read what happened to the people in the wilderness as an example. And we know that God destroyed them because of unbelief, firstly. We got all these warnings. And what happened to Israel is going to, is. and there's someone in the Old Testament says God does not destroy Israel but he's going to destroy the nations and you read revelation it it, we are it's just so clear that this is just a picture and the, the nations are going to come under such judgment and they're really God is it's not a judgment God is judging to warn them to get them to repentance you read revelation right up until the wrath they can repent 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 but but there's a point where you can't repent. And this judgment God is doing is trying to get people to that place of repentance, but they don't want to listen. And then it says in Romans, God's just going to give them strong delusions. They, don't want, they want to believe a lie, and then he's going yeah. to judge them.
1: Isn't that sad? Yeah, we want to believe a lie. My gosh. And isn't this world just wrapped that. in lies? Yeah. Avita, you, Paul, Paul, you're right. Paul does this great thing where he takes the story of Israel and says, look, let's look at this history. Let's apply it to ourselves. Oh, by the way, you're Gentiles, but let's apply this to ourselves. You reap what you sow. Now, we want to sow in the spirit, and we want to reap in the spirit. That's 100% true. But there's also physical things too, okay? And, um, and so that, that comes down here. Um, the Lord gives us warnings. He, uh, the New Testament is full of them, um, and we need to take the, the, the word of God, all of it, very seriously. It's a holiness code. Our job as the people of God is to walk a holy life. When, we, when we're not walking a holy life, there are consequences. Where do those consequences come from? They could come from the hand of the Lord, as listed down here. These are his people. He lives with them. Okay, He has his priests. His spirit is upon them, um, as, as it is with us. But there is still um, a reaping and a sowing And, uh, but there's also a blessing there's that blessing of, well, actually, Lord, I, I don't always walk in your ways, but I want to, I love your word, but I don't always do it, but I actually, but I admire it. I love it. I want to try. And then there's that, uh, that's the, where the Lord says, yes, and I, I get it. I'm here. I've never left. So my angels are keeping the enemy away. We're going to bless your house and you're going to be fruitful. And here we go. Um, and we need to accept uh, all of that, even in the new covenant. It's not that just because we have a new covenant, we get rid of all this idea. It's not true.
6: So we're acting today yeah. for tomorrow kind of thing. I think we had some. Yeah,
1: that, we did. And That's we're true. We're acting
6: today for tomorrow. Yes. So it's more important that we
1: for all, speak. Yes, in so many different ways, nationally, uh, community-wise, family-wise, personal-wise, all of that. Go Vida, and then I'm going to go to Yvonne, who I've just realised is actually here. Fantastic! No, go for Yvonne. Uh, go Vida.
4: We have to be really careful because when we speak, sometimes we, as Christians, we think, "Oh, I'm under the blessing. I'm doing everything I can to follow God and really want to please Him." And then we, and then there's this view that, "Oh, now because I'm doing that, I have to have my." Bless life now,
8: right. kind of attitude.
4: Right. And that's not what God Jesus says. He says very clearly, buy of me gold refined in the fire. And you know, as you get deeper with the Lord and, and you, you you're wanting the Lord to change your heart and that, He's showing you things in yourself constantly. We're going to be continue going through this refinement. And yep. people, and refinement produces gold. So the yep. struggles and the hardships we face in life, these are yep. things we have to rejoice in. Paul says it clearly because they're producing fruit that is just going to be so amazing as long as we can come to, out of it praising and glorifying God, yeah. and God yeah. will get us through it praising and glorifying Him if we heart is after him because yep. we have His workmanship. So it's just right. amazing, right.
1: that's right. Just do it. The uh, the you know, and the um, treasures in heaven. Why am I doing it? Treasures in heaven. You know, why am I lending to the to the poor I'm giving actually to God? You know all these kinds of things and um uh, and to be satisfied with whatever the Lord gives us, but He might give you a blessing. but if he does give you a blessing, may He also give you the spirit of generosity mm-hmm. as well. so there's all of that 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 combines that combines here. although the call is holiness, and what we're getting here are warnings. Obviously, we don't want anything to happen post Verse 11, of verse 13, you know, in in the well, okay. It was like we just want to follow the Lord. Um, but God gives us gives us um warnings. All right, Yvonne, Brazil, how are you doing?
8: I'm good. So I had a uh just you know, this idea of the, the chastisement, it's it's chastisement is always um for discipline. It's always uh for the people to to do Teshuvan, and repent. And it reminds me, oh I just love Ezekiel. And um how the ones that the exiles, right? And as well as the ones that were in the temple in Jerusalem, both went through difficulties and discipline. But at the end, he says, you know, if you repent um, and come back to me, and I, I love I love how even, even through the discipline and the chastisement, and many of them, they mourned and they cried, and he put a mark on the ones that were very sad with what was happening. But I love the fact that even during the discipline and the hard times, like you had mentioned there, and he's, he's with us. And, and he, I love it where it says, I will be a little sanctuary. Hmm. Very good. You know, he'll always be that. And even the chastisement or the, you know, the, the the discipline is to get us back to him. It's not this evil, like wrathful, like, you know, throwing down like lightning bolts and wanting us, he he doesn't want or he, he doesn't want the bad. He wants the good. But even even, even through the discipline, he will still be that little sanctuary. I love that. I think it's beautiful.
1: Excellent. Thanks, Yvonne. All right. So blessings, everybody. Uh, keep well. If you guys are struggling with COVID, as there are many, keep strong. Don't give up. May the Lord heal you and bring you safely through. Uh, shine your light because this dark world really, really needs it.
0: Thank you for listening. Our sermons and Bible studies are on all your favorite podcasting platforms. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and more. Sermons can also be found on YouTube. Follow us on Facebook for alerts on live streams. If you are blessed by these teachings, please prayerfully consider giving toward the work of Christchurch. Visit ChristchurchJerusalem.org Blessings from the City of the Great King.